Welcome to the Guardians of Fahal Campaign Diaries. My name is Lizzie. Thank you for tuning in. Today we are talking about episode nine, part one, a shared song. Um, so a little behind the scenes information for you here. I originally recorded this campaign diary quite some time ago. Um, and then I was coming to edit it and then I realized that something like the file got corrupted. So I have to re-record it which really sucks. Um, so hopefully it's as good or better than the one I originally recorded a few, like a month ago. <laughs> so, um, fortunately, thanks to the amazingness of Google Docs, I can look at my original notes and then try to recapture what my thoughts were. But I suppose none of you will know anyway, since whatever I said is lost to the sands of time. So, so, all right. Um, one thing that I remember very clearly from this session was without necessarily trying to sway to have them do uh, one thing or the other or get involved with this little conflict at all. I do feel like I might have accidentally spoiled it a little bit for the players because I, as a DM, was narrating like the two Kenku bird people children um leaving and one of them said she, i i narrated her saying you ha she pulls her brother so i mean obviously i kind of denoted like a sibling bond and um i mean i i feel like i i <laughs> i foreshadowed the fact that like the i think I, I think i foreshadowed pretty easily that like you know the kenku were children and i think knowing that like they would have helped the kenku because they thought of song um which, you know, is really interesting because I feel like if they hadn't met Song, um, I don't know if they would have been as quick to help just because they're like, I've never seen a bird person before or I don't know who the good person in this conflict is. Should we get involved? Um, but I also kind of foreshadowed it because of the, the fact that the gnolls, uh, gnolls in my setting are a lot more actual, like, um, animalistic, much more like hyena dogs or, you know... They're more wild beasts, um, unlike Kenku, which are people <laughs> in my in my mind. So um, I I was like, I kind of telegraphed, you know, that the, the Kenku were definitely more of like the non-aggressors. And, you know, maybe that's that's tipping my hand because I was hoping that they would meet the kids because, um, you know, we're just going to go into some behind the scenes spoilers. So I designed this counter specifically because I wanted them to have a chance to meet the Nightingale in this area. Um, and I knew that if I had it just be a bunch of scouts, there was a potential that they would hide and avoid them. If it wasn't scouts, you know, or they were discovered by the scouts, they would kind of like, it, there was a potential for a big conflict because like you're trespassing and, you know, leave. Um, and so I thought having kids uh, kind of seemingly helpless, you know, little, little kids um, would be a safer option of like, putting them in danger and giving them a chance to rescue them because the kids aren't going to necessarily be as uh, 
guarded as, you know, the guards are. So um, that was kind of my plan. I really was hoping that they would get involved. And of course, they they decided on their own to help the kids, which uh, was kind of an obvious choice. But you know what? Sometimes as a DM, it's okay to make things obvious because then you're going to have a better result for moving the plot forward. <laughs> um, and I knew they, they needed to meet the Nightingale at one time. And I figured the Nightingale would be a good totem for them to meet here. So um, I just realized that like in recording this, I've kind of spoiled the fact that, you know, it's the Nightingale, but I feel like if you've listened to the campaign.eries, you've probably already made it all this way through this episode, so never mind. So it doesn't matter. Okay. It wasn't really a spoiler. I love that their initiatives were garbage, um, but really they still got a surprise round and that really was the game breaker in hindsight because the gnolls weren't going to be, I think, a super challenging fight, but it was it was pretty closer to being even. They were level four and the gnolls, you know, they're I think they're CR half or CR one creatures and I think it was kind of a fairly set up match. You know, gnolls are not super weak opponents and there was five of them. Um, and they, they have some hit points and they have weapons and they have attack, an attack or two. Um, but you know, they all rolled garbage initiatives. So the surprise run really helped and, and that getting that, getting that entangle off was just, oh my God, it really wrecks things, <laughs> especially at lower levels. Um, when a lot of the stuff they're fighting doesn't, don't have like dispel magic and don't have a, a way to like, they don't necessarily have the strength scores to beat, you know? the restraintment. So anyway, um, so I, I bought these, these beautiful DM dice. Um, when we played this game, I think we had gone to galaxy con the week before or the weekend before or somewhere, somewhere before. And I had been waiting to use these beautiful dice. (laughs) They just rolled like shit. Like the whole night they rolled so bad and you can hear my, my frustration. So like in general, um, this was actually the first time that I felt like my combat started to lose their their bite a little bit. And I think it was they just nerfed it so much. And I my my, my game doesn't have that much combat in it right now. Like when I, I can probably count the number of encounters they've had with monsters on my hands or or just, you know, on my fingers and and I don't know if I would go over it. But I feel like as a DM, like I'm not as interested in combat unless I there feels like there's some emotional weight to it um and that's also because when I play D&D like I I tend to enjoy combats in D&D where it's like either moving the plot forward or there's some sort of emotional stake in it um I don't really I'm not a huge tactical player I'm not like a war game player and there's nothing wrong with that if you are and you can do it props to you you probably can out design me and encounters all the time. It's actually something I've actively been working on. And my most recent um, session we had, which we're quite a bit ahead in recording, but like my most recent session we recorded, um, it was a bigger combat and I had multiple things going on and they all had different stats. And I feel like I did pretty good with that. Everyone, it was a long fight. It was actually, it went almost, I think all the way to 10 rounds, if not longer than that. I'd have to go back and count, but it was a tough fight and the players actually had to be very smart and it was not an easy one, but they, they, you know, like I think that they, they used their, what they had and it was, it was a good challenge. So with this though, because the, Entangle went off, and then also I just could not roll to hit them, and it sucked. And then just it felt like they they nor like they, it just felt like they kind of 
um, knocked them down a little too quickly where I'm like, I don't know if this was satisfying for them. But, you know, sometimes that happens. Not every encounter is going to be nail biting. And that's okay. As a player, I, I say I don't really like combat, but I still like those easy combats sometimes when I just get to use my spells or hit shit. And it, it feels good. You know, sometimes you got a long week and you just want to hit shit. Um, so what did I think? There's a couple things other in this combat that I found amusing than just, you know, the fact that, um, they entangled them and, and I couldn't roll good. And that was, uh, I, I find it hilarious. The channel divinity is it, is it whose channel uh, it's, Oh, 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 okay. It's Andrew's channel divinity is his paladin where he can basically kind of like challenge creatures to duels. And he basically challenged all of the gnolls. He's like, come on, everybody attack me. And then immediately afterwards was like, Oh my God, all of them are going to attack me. Oh, the hell. <laughs> oh my God. It's funny. Um, I don't normally play tank characters, so I'm not used to being like the, the, well, I shouldn't say I'm not used to being the target. I'm not used to being the target because I'm up in front hitting things. So, um, in a friend's game, I'm going to be playing a paladin. Uh, it's a pathfinder game. So I'm really curious to see, uh, how that goes. Cause I'm probably going to be more <laughs> than I was before as my bard. So I gotta get used to it, I guess. Uh, oh God. <laughs> Does she have boobs? As soon as, as soon as Megan realizes that it's a Kenku and it's a female Kenku, she has to know, does the Kenku have boobs? Because if you remember in the episode where they were traveling with Song and she used her disguise self to turn herself into a Kenku, she made herself a female version of Song with boobs. And that's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> and then it's like, uh, that's the first thing she asks about this Kenku is, does this Kenku have boobs? Uh, and then that just becomes a reoccurring joke. And you know what? It's, it's honestly one of the good ones. Um, it's a little awkward though. Cause <laughs> she's like a young teenage girl and you know, they aren't necessarily thinking about that at the time. They're thinking about, does this Kenku have boobs? That's what matters. Um, so also, um, after, after the fight resolves and they've got, you know, it's one thing that I was kind of happy about. Uh, was these children, uh, you know, the gnolls are angry that they can't hit, you know, these well-armored adventures. And I think I'm like, you know, they're not super intelligent, but they are spiteful. And they decided to like shoot, uh, the sister because she, you know, was trying to pull the little nugget away. <laughs> so, you know, they shot her and I felt like that was a kind of dick move to do, but also it, I felt like I, the Noel would have done it. And also at the time, like that was the one with the clear shot where it wasn't just all ganged up and everything. So, you know, firing at, uh, uh, may also, I felt like I wanted to make them a little bit angry and riled up because it's like, you just, does this entangle and they can't hit shit. Uh, they're going to go for the unarmored person just out of spite. Um, and I felt like it kind of added a little bit more tension because it wasn't just like, they knew they were going to be fine with everything. They could kill them, but like, could they kill them before they got more pot shots off of the children? That was the real question then. And that was a good move. That was a good move because it made them really angry. And then it felt more satisfying, I think, when they killed them. So, you know, you can always find ways, even if the enemies are getting nerfed, you know, you can find ways to kind of still rib the players a little bit and make them have that more of like a attachment to the fight. So, um, yeah. In uh, general, uh, it was really funny because in the background, I think occasionally I tried to edit around it a, a bit, but you can sometimes kind of hear me say things or like 
um, side conversation. And it was because Steve was there. And Steve, if you remember, is the one who played song. And this is great because um, Steve basically just messaged me the day of the game. And he sometimes does. Well, he doesn't anymore um, because quarantine. Um, But like he basically messaged me uh and was like hey can i come over and just watch the game like i want to hang out and i'm like sure so he's just sitting here during this whole game and i've just got like this secret like try not to like look too happy that he's here but i was so happy because as soon as like you know steve told me he wanted to play kenku i was like oh my god yes because i knew they were going to meet kenku eventually and it was just so perfect that he on his own was like i just really want to watch the game tonight and he was here for it i think that made it really really special um and it's something too that like his character could potentially like find you know just because steve's not actively in the campaign that doesn't mean song can't have his own adventures and go on things like song could go move to this village and that would be a really cool satisfying little happy ending you know for him have a new home and obviously he does have a relationship with his parents uh who adopted him but you know they're moving around they're busy people and you know i think it would be a cool rewarding thing for him especially with some stuff that he and i came up with for his character's backstory um which i won't say because it might actually he might he might be coming back for a guest appearance uh eventually soon uh, i shouldn't say soon um sometime <laughs> um but yeah um i was clearly telegraphing that they can speak and it wasn't super hard to tell um and that was kind of the point is i was i was so happy that steve had made it clear that song couldn't speak unless he had this specific um his specific arcane abilities of a bard to kind of like you know make himself be able to speak, um, where it can kind of override the power of the curse, um, for a little bit. But these kids are just able to talk like completely normal. They don't have to mimic. They don't have to do any of that. And it's like, oh, well, this should be a, this should be a sign that something is afoot. How can these kinker talk? Ah, mystery, mystery. Um, and then they say the onsei, which uh, I knew that the characters would not know what that meant. Um, but basically, I took, um, I looked it up on, you know, the reliability of Google Translate. Um, but I, I did a little bit of research and I was trying to figure out um, how to, what, what to call, what they would call the nightingale. Um, because the Kenku's culture is very heavily inspired off of uh, Japanese culture and mythology and language because, you know, Tengu and Kenku are from Japanese mythology originally. Ja- okay, so side note, Japanese mythology is so cool. They have so many cool myths and they have some of the weirdest monsters. And like DMs, if you really are like, I don't really know. I don't like all the monsters in the book. They're kind of, I don't know. They're just not weird enough or they're not creepy enough or whatever i highly encourage you to just start looking up some japanese myths because they got some wild shit in there and it's a lot of fun and there's also a lot of stories too about like um buddhist monks like and like traveling around and like fighting the evil spirits off and like you know then purifying the area um and it was like not just even buddhist monks like monks who of like shintoism uh, like shrine, like the shrine maidens, and then also like the practicing monks, and it's just it's they got a lot of cool stuff. So that's a, that's my little mythology tangent for today. Um, but um, onsei is Japanese for voice giver or voice granter. So um, that's why they call it that because uh, even though the nightingale adopted. 
the Kenku, you know, she didn't make them abandon their culture and have like whatever her version of stuff is. They kind of co-opted it. And, you know, so the, the, the Kenku basically call her the Ansei because it's, it's a title from their village that connects them to their past, but then kind of has given them hope in their new home that they've made. Um, and I just thought that was really unique. And also it kind of gives it away. Like, you know, they wouldn't call her the Nightingale because they don't like, they're another culture that came in and basically was adopted by the Nightingale and she became her own thing to them. And, um, the reason I did that is, um, and I feel like this is kind of a thing that I've seen in with my players too, is like, I think a lot of times in fantasy worlds, um, and even as like somebody who's trying to write their own story, there's a tendency to want to make certain things canon. Like, uh, for instance, in terms of like Tolkien's Middle Earth, like he wrote the entire book Silmarillion and he, I don't think planned on publishing it, but after he passed away, I think it was his son, Christopher Tolkien compiled all of it and like, published it um but like there's a sense to want to canonize things and then like this is the one true way of doing this um and i think that's probably because in real life you know a lot of mythology and a lot of stuff with religion is confusing and there's a lot of arguments over what's the right way or you know this is the way to do it and we don't like the uncertainty so there's like this concept of like fantasy creators wanting to like make everything super canon like nope this is exactly how the world that was created these are the real gods you know this is what happened and it's almost like a, everyone knows the truth and i i kind of monkey with that i don't really like that um i think there's certain times where there are certain things that the players need to have be canon so that they can kind of have a sense of what the world is like but i mean Real mythology and religions and cultures are built by people kind of intermingling with each other and exchanging um, ideas from other places. Like, um, if you look at the gods, uh, the Greek gods, there's a lot of Greek gods that came from, um, they think were from like Mesopotamian or Babylonian mythology and got co-opted. Like, for instance, uh, there's a wonderful video on YouTube by Overly Sarcastic Productions. Um, Red does videos on some of the Greek gods and kind of their history of how they got like canonized. Um, and she did one on Aphrodite. And Aphrodite has a lot of weird contradictory like characteristics um, that the Greeks associated her with. And they, she kind of speculates, and I think this makes a lot of sense, is because um, the historians kind of think that the cult of Aphrodite was a branch off of um, Ishtarte from the, from Mesopotamian mythology. And it's, uh, and then, or no, no, Ishtarte was, I think, um, Phoenician. Yeah, Ishtarte was Phoenician, and then Ishtar is the Mesopotamian Babylonian version of her. Um, and in that she was love, sex, fertility, and uh, war. And so Aphrodite has a lot of these tendencies, but then they're kind of co-opted by the Greeks, and then there's a lot of things about her being more, like, petty and, like... Um, like kind of also like a punisher of women for friend zoning men. And there's, there's just a lot of other stuff where it feels contradictory to some of her other portrayals. Um, it's an interesting video. Check it out. She also has one on Hermes and she has one on Dionysus, which is a trip and fun. Um, and she has one on another God and I don't remember what it is at the moment, but anyway, 
besides the point, I feel like that's really how, you know, the totems are and how the gods are in general. Like, just because one culture has co-opted them and they have a big religious following, that doesn't mean that that's all of what that being's essence is. And there is a lot of stuff that comes up with human interpretation and they can kind of change a little bit over time. And so um, the Nightingale definitely adopted it. Uh, and then it gave the... The, the Kenku got to keep like keep their own culture because it was important to them. And just because they left their homeland, they still wanted to keep like these traditions alive from there. So, you know, it's kind of a cool blending of t- cultures. And um, I just find that interesting. And I also find it uh, more fun if you kind of let different regions and even different gods or demigod beings, depending on how you do your games, spirits, be able to be worshipped in multiple facets and worshipped by different groups of people different ways. Um, and I do think, like, you, this is even something that I've struggled with because I think Josh did something similar in one of his games, and I found it very confusing, but realized after a while, I and I, I kind of, like, took off my tendency to want to make everything canon um, and true. I'm like, you know, it's kind of actually way more interesting if there's these differences. So, I don't know. Uh, I know this is kind of rambly and it's not super probably juicy for spoilery, but as a DM, if you're a DM or a player, I, I challenge you to kind of think about some of that stuff. It's it's a lot of fun if you have those room for variances. Um, but I guess kind of finishing up the episode, um, looking at my notes a little bit. Um, I love... I love the fact that as soon as they realize that it's one of the totems, like everyone kind of just recognizes the severity, like the severity and like the importance of this moment, because, uh, you know, the Hans and Franz, both of them kind of earlier in the game have emphasized how important this is to them and their personal goals. Um, when especially Andrew's character explained like why they're kicked out of the Mandaya. So they know that there's this quest that they kind of have to go atone for. And it's just kind of, I thought was a really good example of a D&D game where people are kind of sharing the spotlight. Like basically um, every one of the players and their characters recognize that, oh shit, this is a serious moment for Josh and Andrew's characters. This is one of their totems. Okay, we need to like, you know, go along with and we absorb it and we, we you know, we're going to go along with the scene and this is kind of, we're going to let them kind of step into the spotlight a little bit. And I think that that's really important to do as players because, you know, D&D is a collaborative storytelling game and that doesn't mean that like your player can't find a way to interact with it or engage but it's definitely good to look to those players and the, the players in the moment and kind of like follow their lead and make sure you're not stepping on their toes and giving an important moment that is a big deal to their character's growth and progress in the story. Like, you know, just kind of being like, okay, I need to step back a little bit and make sure that they have room to kind of like spread their wings and shine and do stuff. So it was, it was really cool. And, you know, I love the way that they humbly asked to go uh, to the village and I just, I love it. Uh, And it just, it was really sweet and cute. It's just like this idea of these two big, like Arnold Schwarzenegger looking guys, like, asking like this teenage girl like can you please take us to your village or help us you know on this mission and like just treating treating her with respect and knowing that this is kind of a 
thing that could get her in trouble. I just, I just like it. I didn't, I like that they weren't like jerks about like, you have to take us to your village. You know, our needs are more important than your, you know, feelings about this. They were super diplomatic. It was good. Very good. Loved it. Um, and I also love Josh creating this special, um, plate to show off, um, specifically like the different Bendaya totem. So it was kind of like a sign, you know, just in case there was trouble that they would see that like, oh, look, this is, this is something, you know, from, you know, we're legit. <laughs> we're not here to threaten you. We, we have, we're probably invited. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was a good time. I really like the creativity from Josh forging that. And also it was cool because he's meeting one of Angeed's totems. So he gets to show off, um, an item with the ability that, you know, she gave him. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it for now. I'm really hoping I didn't miss anything from the original recording. Um, if there's anything that you guys want me to talk about more, some more details about how I come up with like these, um, variances and cultures, you know, I would be happy to talk about it more. Please leave a comment below or ask on social media. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up on Patreon, heart it or share it, you know, via social media. You can also share the podcast links via your preferred platform. But yeah, anything to let us know that if we're doing a good job and you'd like more, uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Westerverse. Uh, we also have a website and you can contact us there at thewesterverse.com. Um, so yeah, thanks for tuning in. Next time I'm going to be talking about episode nine, part two, and hopefully that one's recorded properly. Oh boy, <laughs> we're going to see. All right. Bye, adventurers!